Hi, Foxies. The episode you're trying to listen to is right around the corner, but first, we need your help. You may have noticed that there are no ads during the Fox and the Foxhound. We prefer this, being ad haters ourselves, but we need your help to keep it that way. If you love this show, please consider signing up as a patron at patreon.com slash the Fox and the Foxhound. We have Patreon tiers starting at just $1 a month. And not only will you get fun extra content and an unedited cut of every episode two days early, you'll be directly responsible for keeping the show going in all of its ad-free glory. Thanks to all of our existing patrons, past patrons, and hopefully future patrons. Enjoy the episode. So we're opening the show a bit differently for a little while. Hopefully you all know us. We're the Wilsons, and we are reading through the Harry Potter series together, me for the first time. If you want to know more about us and this show, please check out thefoxandthefoxhound.com. We are all living in an unprecedented time. For the first time in our memory, our entire globe is facing a common threat at the same time. We know how easy it is to feel scared and hopeless, like the Dementors are swarming. If you're listening to this, you are part of our extended family. If you need to talk to someone, consider our ears open. If you need us to tell you a terrible joke, all you have to do is ask. We're here for you. At the end of the show, we'll remind you how to contact us. And remember, in the immortal words of Albus Dumbledore, it's the unknown we fear when we look upon death and darkness, nothing more. Okay, so um, how you how you feeling? I mean, the world not at all stressful, things not at all terrible. This book not at all stressful. Right. This series not at all stressful. Right. I mean, like my God, life just feels like a vacation right now. Art is imitating life at this point. Holy shit! Yeah, it really, really is. And without devoting too much of our time to it, because quite frankly, I just like don't have the patience or energy i do want to open with some words from our dear sweet little wizard boy himself daniel radcliffe because he wrote a fantastic piece addressing she who must not be named heretofore known as the author that we're not naming and in this essay daniel radcliffe said the following i really loved this i hope you do too If you found anything in these stories that resonated with you and helped you at any time in your life, then that is between you and the book that you read, and it is sacred. And in my opinion, nobody can touch that. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. And that's part of a larger work by him. I'll put it in the show notes. I highly recommend that you read it. (sighs) What a week. Yes. So we're covering one chapter. Uno chapter the death eaters yes <laughs> you're just <laughs> i hate these guys i'm so on edge right now i can tell I'm like tense <laughs> all of your responses are just yes mm-hmm yep yes <laughs> like you're you're so so edgy okay well you're reading first so take it away voldemort looked away from harry and began examining his own body his hands were like large pale spiders His long white fingers caressed his own chest, his arms, his face. The red eyes whose pupils were slits like a cat's gleamed still more brightly through the darkness. And I'm now going to prove my power by killing him, here and now, in front of you all, when there is no Dumbledore to help him and no mother to die for him. I will give him his chance. 
He will be allowed to fight, and you will be left in no doubt which of us is the stronger. Just a little longer, Nagini, he whispered, and the snake glided away through the grass to where the Death Eaters stood watching. Now untie him, Wormtail, and give him back his wand. Wowzers. I kind of think of Nagini as like the idiot sidekick. (laughs) Which way did he go, George? Which way did he go? What? Why? Because I'm just so mad at all these people, and I feel like Nagini... He's like, I'll feed you your wizard boy soon, Nagini. Nagini's like, yes, master. Just slinking around. He doesn't do anything. Nagini's a girl, for one thing. Really? Yes. Does that that change your perspective? Yeah. (laughs) God. How so? (laughs) I don't know. I just feel like I can accept evil more from men. (laughs) I feel like I can. I feel like. I expect evil from men <laughs> more than I expect it from women. That is a loaded statement. <laughs> it just comes naturally. Just like that song. <laughs> so wrong. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. Well, you read this chapter. I think like the the last couple of chapters that we covered got you in this kind of new habit of like reading a couple of days before we record. So you read this chapter I didn't know how many chapters you were going to read, and you came inside and you were like, we're just doing one. Yes. We're just doing the one. I sat outside under the coverage of our gazebo. Yes. With a light rain. Ooh, appropriate. And our new little cute lights that we have outside. We do have some really cute And I cute smoked lights. a cigar. Oh. And I went deep into the wizarding world. Ooh, into that graveyard. I'm getting to the point where I kind of want to be like, the kid from the never ending story. I just want to lock myself up in a dark basement and for it to be storming outside. Yeah. And just read it. I don't want to read Potter like on the subway. No. Or like no. in the waiting room at a doctor's office. Like I need to be fully engrossed in the story. And you've been doing a good job of that. You always have like a quiet space around you. It's very good. As someone who like has to have literally no stimuli around me when I'm reading or else it's going to take me four times as long. (laughs) I appreciate it. So we are back in the graveyard. We're right where we left off the last time. And Voldemort is like having this like touch himself party he's feeling himself he is feeling himself he's like wow i look good i need to go out (laughs) it's just do you guys want to go dancing i'm like really feeling myself today (laughs) what can i say it's a good hair day what do you think his voice sounds like now you've seen the movies so you know what his voice sounds like but how do you okay when you read it here's the thing (laughs) here's the thing in our production of puffs A very, very wonderful, wonderful actor and great friend, Matt Carter, played who is known in Puffs as Voldy, who's clearly supposed to be Voldemort. And I literally can hear no one except his voice. And what does his voice sound like? His voice was like, yes, come Nagini. Like it was this weird, like he did this weird thing with his face and it was the most hilarious thing I've ever seen. It's really, really fucked me up if I'm being completely honest. So maybe wash my brain of that by giving me your Voldemort voice. Let me think about it. I want there to be like uh, some strain in it because he's not fully human. Like he's kind of got a physical form back. Yeah. So I want him to sound like this. Oh. 
if he's struggling to talk. Harry, <laughs> I've been waiting for you, wizard boy. It also sounds a little bit like Jabane Clement from Flight of the Concords doing David Bowie. <laughs> because he's like, Is I was a drab little crab <laughs> once. But he, in the Flight of the Concords sketch, he comes into the other guy's room and he's like, Hello, Brett. It's David Bowie. It's 1986 David Bowie from the movie Labyrinth. <laughs> and it sounded a little bit like that. You also... Peter Collins is like, sweet, yeah. Bowie. <laughs> Bowie. You also kind of want all of your Harry Potter voices to be a little bit strained. That's very much a theme for you. Yeah. So this fits for sure. And I feel like we've done Voldemort voice before when he was on the back of Quirrell's head. And I think it has stayed very consistent for you, at least. For me, it's become Matt Carter. Children often react strangely to the way that I do voices when I read to them. What do you mean they react strangely? Like, you know how kids really like for you to do the voices in books? Absolutely. Sometimes I feel like I'm not getting a good response from them. Like, they're kind of looking at me like, could you back up a little bit and oh, not geez. be so creepy? Like you're, oh God, like you're giving off like a... A creepy uncle vibe? No, like I'm making them too scary. Oh, well, that's fun, though. Kids like to be scared, yeah. right? I don't know. We don't have kids. Maybe we shouldn't. Be we have nine nieces and nephews, <laughs> We though. do. We've got a lot of them. They love your voices. You're crazy. Okay. Long spindly fingers man himself feeling himself. I love that he tests out his wand, by the way, by just like flinging Wormtail around. He throws him against the Tom Riddle tomb that Harry is tied to. Yeah, he's not a nice guy. And this guy. guy has already cut his own hand off. Yeah. He is bleeding to death. Yes. He needs a tourniquet mm -hmm. and serious medical attention. And probably to not be thrown up against a headstone. Yeah. Also, screw Wormtail. So, uh, you know, I'm fine. I'm, yeah, I'm he fine. dug this hole for himself. 1,000% Yeah, did. when he killed a bunch of muggles and then slipped away down into a ninja turtle sewer yeah. cap after betraying his friends which is like super egregious to me speaking of wormtail voldemort has this like crazy fake out moment with him where he's like oh yes i'm like still doing matt carter oh you cut off your hand did you hold out your arm and Wormtail holds out his arm. He's like, oh, thank you, master. Thank you. You're going to give me another hand. He's like, your other arm. Like, this guy is the worst. So Wormtail holds out his other arm. He obliges because who's going to disobey this guy? And we have a really interesting reveal on his arm. Do you remember what this was about? It's the dark mark. It is. It's the skull with a snake coming out of it. Mm -hmm. And this is the same thing that was going off in the situation in which Harry was stuck in the trick stairs, right? Uh, and Moody mm -hmm. had come out and Moody could see him. Mm -hmm. And Moody was talking to Snape and Filch. Uh-huh. And Snape looked at his arm. Yeah. And grabbed his arm. And it's like when Moody said something to him, and I propose that maybe it was some sort of like house arrest type of thing yeah for dark wizards now thinking about <laughs> crumbs dad <laughs> not crumbs dad crack him off karkaroff now Karkaroff. thinking about crack him off karkaroff and him saying <laughs> cracker moth 
and him saying it's becoming clearer and clearer, I think he might have been talking about his own mark. Mm-hmm. So I don't quite know what the mark represents. Sure. Is this something I should know right now that you need to help me out with now? No, no, I think uh, this is on Wormtail's arm is the very first reveal of any kind of like symbol on the body. Like it's it's like a tattoo essentially. Yeah. And and the only thing I think you can kind of glean from this is that Voldemort essentially calls his Death Eaters by touching that mark because it it is kind of red, almost like faded, you know, whatever. He touches it and it turns jet black on Wormtail's arm. And then he's like, okay, let's see who's brave enough to come here. So I almost wonder if it is kind of a litmus test for their allegiance. Or how close he is to them or something. Right. Something having to do with that area. Yeah, I think that's about the extent that you should be getting about that. I think it's already really good that you made the connection with Snape's arm. And I was kind of, I was wondering if you would. Like, I wouldn't have been surprised if you hadn't. I think there's probably a little bit more info to be revealed about this particular thing in this book. But, yeah, you're already, like, way ahead of the game if you recognize that connection. And it shows the power of a symbol. Mm -hmm. I thought about how the dark mark was sent up, which we'll get to later on in this chapter. We'll talk about the incident that happened at the Quidditch World Cup. Mm -hmm. But that symbol being thrown in the air was like, we're here, MFers. Yeah. And then the Death Eaters were... Torturing muggles, throwing them up in the air, you know, trashing tents, like going crazy. Mm -hmm. And then here's this tattoo these people have, and Mm -hmm. it just seems really freaking relevant to right now. Yes. And the power of a symbol, the Mm -hmm. power of someone throwing up a symbol and saying, we're here. Absolutely. But there's also the power of people to throw up that symbol to confuse or blame other people for something that they didn't do. And I wonder if that's going to come up because like we've talked about in the great war 13 years ago Mm -hmm. or whenever it was, when the Mm -hmm. shit was hitting the fan and giants were running to the hills and (laughs) um, that song run to the hills was playing. Is that Dragon Force? (laughs) No, that's not Dragon Force. I don't know why that's funny. I'm like, (laughs) who sings run to the hills? Iron Maiden. Oh, <laughs> okay. I see why that's funny then. Yeah, it's it's a powerful symbol. And for sure, I mean, just like the idea of code or, you know. Were some people under an imperious curse? Right. Where did people's allegiances lie? Sure. Crouch. Was right. Crouch a good man that took it too far? Or was Crouch secretly a death eater? And yeah. he was a plant and... Whew, there's a lot going on right exactly now. This is exactly how you should feel at this point in the book, if that makes you feel any better. Exactly how you should feel. So then we get into Voldemort's past. Yeah. And the first thing that we need to say about Voldemort's past was already given to us through foreshadowing, through a really funny line. Oh, tell, tell what me. What is it? Seamus Finnegan. <gasps> My dad's a muggle. Mom's a witch. Yes. 
That's foreshadowing. To, it's literally Voldemort is the same thing. Well, his dad's a muggle and his mom's a witch. But I don't know what you're implying about Seamus Finnegan. <laughs> no, I mean, that's so true. I never really like made that connection. I mean, I think that the the one non-magical parent and the one magical parent is not so unusual that that should necessarily jump out as a, a conclusion. But that is really... It's interesting. That is really interesting. Now, you had a question, I think it was last episode, that I was like really kind of struggling with answering. And you were sort of like, I don't know if I'm supposed to understand why the gravestone says Tom Riddle. Like, did he leave his body behind? Fortunately, I was correct when I said, I think that'll be answered in the next chapter. It's his pops. It's his dad. So... That's and the house, the riddle house, which, you know, we kind of had already covered this and you very clearly ascertained this even from the very beginning of this book has a connection to him because Mm -hmm. how many people have the last name riddle and they call this house the riddle house. That was where his father lived with his parents, muggles, his muggle parents. So that would have been Voldemort's muggle father and muggle grandparents. Who lived in that house. It's also kind of dumb that the Ministry of Magic and all of these people know Voldemort is back in some way. Or, Do they? Or he's hidden out in some form. Like, right. nobody checked his house? His parents' house? He's at his parents' house. <laughs> but This see- is like if the cops had been searching for a guy for 13 years and they were like, we just don't know where the hell he is. Have you stopped by his mama's house? Here's the thing. He's, in the, he's eating a peanut butter and jelly. He's watching TV in her living room for 13 years. No, no, no. Here's the thing though. Here's what I think you are overestimating, which is the ministry being on any kind of alert. There is very much an assumption in the wizarding world right now that Voldemort was killed, done dead when he attacked little Harry Potter. Remember, Hagrid says that in book one. He's like, everyone says he died. I don't think he died personally. The wizarding world as a whole does not believe this guy's lurking somewhere. They believe he's dead and gone. But there's all of these signs. We're led to believe this entire series so far that there's this buzz in the wizarding world of like shit, we saw the dark mark in the sky at the Quidditch World Cup. Yeah. There's like shit going down. We feel like what do they think is happening? Just and a resurgence of his followers? This is why you are so, so primed and ready for Order of the Phoenix. Because what I will say is do not underestimate the power of rationalization when people don't want something to be true. Isn't that what we're unraveling with the movement right now? Absolutely. Yes, very much so. Very much so. It's all cognitive dissonance. I believe this thing. I'm comfortable believing this thing. Here's a piece of evidence that contradicts the thing I believe and that makes me feel really uncomfortable so I'm going to ignore reject discount whatever it is that piece of evidence or I'm going to give up my belief but that's got to be a really strong piece of evidence to make you give up that belief and that belief is rooted in a feeling of your own safety and security absolutely yeah I mean the parallels between (sighs) like our our current state and our current world are staggering sometimes and they will only get more so wow 
Yeah. So the breakdown from Voldemort. Yes. He's like, let me tell you a little bit about growing up. (laughs) (laughs) I was born on a farm in Montana. (laughs) So his dad, Voldemort's dad, Tom Riddle. Let's call him Tom Riddle because this would have been when he was a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tommy Jr.'s dad, Tom Sr. Yes. (laughs) Found out that his wife was a witch. Right. And left her. Yes. And then, but she was pregnant and she died in childbirth. Yes. So Pops hauled ass. Mm-hmm. Mom Dukes died giving birth. <laughs> yes. And Voldemort slash baby Tom Riddle. Yeah. Grew up in a muggle orphanage. Yes, he did. Why do you have like a little bit of like pity in your voice when you say that? Because this kid has gone through so much pain that he chose the evil route. Mm. And he longs for something that he can't have. That's why he's back staying in his parents' house. He just wants to feel a connection. Do you think that's why? Mm. I think you're already pretty charitable towards old Voldy. But it's definitely a it's a sad story, for sure. In my notes, I have Muggle Orphanage, but with my crappy handwriting, it looks like it says Muppet Orphanage. <laughs> Which would have been way more fun. Which would have been a way better <laughs> way to grow up. Who's the Who's the one that's just like me 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 me? <laughs> hey, look, it's Tom Riddle. <laughs> Welcome to the Muppet Orphanage. We're the, having a great time. What is the chef? What's the chef sound? He's throwing fish around and shit. Yes, I love the chef. I think he's my favorite And then there's like the hippie guys that are like, hey, Kermit, man. Oh my God, man. I'm smoking gillyweed. (laughs) A Muppet orphanage. Wow, that would have been a really different outcome, I think. (laughs) So when when his pops hauled ass... He went back with his parents. And remember, you know, I I would remind you about the legend of the Riddle House that we were introduced to at the very beginning of this book with good guy Frank Bryce, the wrestler Frank Bryce. Yeah. Of legend. Landscaper. Landscaper and sometimes wrestler Frank Bryce. The Riddle House was that creepy house in the town and it was so creepy because there had been a triple homicide they had found three adult people the parents and the kid who was like an adult child Mm -hmm. tom riddle senior just dead right and voldemort says here i killed my father you know so i would say you know that's maybe not necessarily something that you would go Oh yeah, I clearly made that connection because I it was didn't. so I didn't really think far about back. That. Yeah. yeah, it was so far back. But, but it if was his good. mom died in childbirth, he didn't kill her. No, Tom Riddle Senior, Muggle Daddy, lived in the Riddle House with his parents. Oh, so he killed his dad and his grandparents. Yes. Who kills their gram? It, you know, who Vol- in bloody hell kills their own gram? Voldemort. Voldemort does, hun. So, you know, the, the reminiscing about the past comes to a conclusion because, according to Voldemort, his real family shows up. He doesn't treat them very well, but it's time for, like, the Death Eater bro convention. Yes. 
I wanted to mention something okay. epic and biblical before Ooh, that. I love epic and biblical. Um, well, in this part. So the touching of the hem of his black robes. Right, right. This is like in the Bible, touching the hem of the garment of Jesus. Yeah, because I was going to say, isn't that a Jesus thing? Like, Yeah. And what There's it, a great I, old hymn about that I believe it's called Touch the Hem of His Garment. Oh my God. Now what what does that like mean to you or symbolize to you within the context of this clearly not Jesus-like guy? To me, it shows absolute devotion, mm-hmm. but it also has a little bit of a messed up sacrilegious nature to it. Interesting. Sort of like, you know, the girl from Exorcist in the uncut version doing sexual things with a crucifix. Right. It's so... It's perverse. It's so perverse Mm -hmm. that it's just really creepy. When I read that, I was like, oh, God, what is she like? I remember... I remember growing up, my mom always hated Madonna because Madonna like wore rosaries as necklaces. I don't know if you knew that that's like a really sacrilegious thing to do to Catholics is to like wear a rosary like a necklace. Right. You don't use it in a flippant way. Exactly. It's a serious thing. Yeah. It's it's that kind of thing. Um, And then she had the video which had a man on a cross. Yeah. Oh, she, my mom was not a fan. Not a Madonna fan. No. Madonna was controversial. Can yes. you believe there was a time when Madonna Jesus was controversial? Christ. I mean, wow. What I want those She'd be a days senator back. Now. I know. <laughs> if she, she ran for office, I would vote for her. <laughs> yeah. Or if a Muppet did. <laughs> right. Or a wet bleach soaked mop. Or one of our cats. <laughs> or literally anyone other than everyone who's in charge of this country at this moment. Exactly. Please send us. We your don't candidates. need to overhaul the whole engine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The insurance company has totaled America. All this right, it's bitch totaled. Is right. Yeah. Rick and Vic, get the guest room ready. We're about to get the hell out of here. We're getting out. Of, we are. What is? What do you have to do to become a British citizen? Because don't come back here. I'm fine with that. Go there and never come back. Is here there like again. a test? Is that like should I start studying? Like what? You have to make. You have to brew. And prepare a proper cuppa. Oh, no, well, I'm fucked then. <laughs> if it was a cup of coffee, can I be a citizen of France if I can brew a really good cup of coffee? Honey, you're already a citizen of France in your heart. Am I? I am. Je suis. Oui. All right, the bros show up. They form a circle, but there's these... I I want to use the word strategic. There's these gaps. I mean, to me, the implication here is that every single person who is present in this graveyard and in this circle is in a formation and an assigned place that they always stand. Everything is ritualistic. Exactly. Very ritualistic. Even the fact that like they're forming a circle around this headstone and like it's it's all very um, like something really awful is going to go down. It's it's very ominous, I guess is the word I'm looking for. And Voldemort proceeds to put all of them on blast, taking like, no prisoners. You guys were not very loyal to me. Y'all never tried to find me. Nobody tried to find me. You guys knew I was out there and none of you tried to find me. Right. I was at my grandparents' house with Frank Bryce. <laughs> but he's only been there for like 
the past few months. Like, it's not like he was there the whole time. Um, Voldemort has such a strange way of, like, expressing his ideas. It Like, it's a little bit melodramatic. It's a little bit manipulation. It's He doesn't ever raise his voice. Everything he says is, like, in this whisper. But he has this, like, weird self-question and answer thing for like an entire page. He's like, so I ask myself and then I answer myself. Like a true narcissist. Like a total narcissist, like someone who firmly believes their opinion and read of the situation is the only acceptable one. (laughs) Sound familiar. (laughs) I mean, listen, if the shoe fits your tiny orange foot (laughs) then you should wear it so i found it was super interesting that voldemort talks about the steps i took to guard myself against mortal death (gasps) yeah so he did something to guard himself against mortal death no you're absolutely right that is an important point to pick up on that there's definitely a sense that he's done something really dark and really maybe even perverse that is not really something that's done, right? The darkest of dark arts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're talking about escaping death at this point. Like, it doesn't get any bigger than that. Right, and wizarding people can't bring people back from the dead. No, no. Voldemort goes around the circle and some of it is just for show, right? I mean, he gets to Avery and he just tortures him. He hits him with the crucio. He just tortures him. He doesn't really give him a particular reason. He's basically like putting the entire group on blast. Y'all never tried to find me. Boom, crucio to Avery. But then there are some that he really expands a little bit more with and on. Mm -hmm. So with Wormtail, he says... You didn't come back to me out of loyalty. You came back to me out of fear of your friends that you betrayed. I find it really interesting that Voldemort brings up Wormtail's friends two or three times. It's really consistent with my theory of why he calls him Wormtail instead of Pettigrew or Peter or whatever. It's this like even in Voldemort's code, what he did was really dirty and he's going to shame him and remind him of that every single day that's always kind of been my really good point actually he just i think he taunts him with it and he says you know even though you didn't come back to me out of loyalty you did help me i'll give you that you did help me so now i'm gonna help you and he gives him a freaking silver hand robo hand fucking brilliant i mean how cool would that be and Wormtail looks down and he's moving it. He's mm-hmm. like, wow, it works. My robo hand. It's making those sounds because it's like Star Wars. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And it seems to be powerful. I mean, he like picks up a, I don't remember, I think it's a twig or something and just like crushes it in between. His, so he's strong. He's got like, he didn't just get like his hand replaced. He got like a, a like, like a bionic situation. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Lucius Malfoy is next. Lucius is there to, like, exactly no one's surprise. Lucius Malfoy is now a confirmed Death Eater. And 
Voldemort really shames him. He he takes a little bit of time with Lucius. And gives us some information, too. Yes. At the same time. What did you find out? He tells him, like, your ex- he talks about his exploits at the Quidditch World Cup, mm-hmm. which I'm thinking are probably the hovering muggles and that sort of thing. Yeah. But he said, you didn't come when a loyal Death Eater sent up the Dark Mark sign. Uh-huh. So we know that Lucius did not send up the Dark Mark. There you go. Some other loyal Death Eater sent it up. Yes, exactly. And then he talks about the Lestranges, mm-hmm. who basically went to prison rather than renouncing Voldemort. Yeah, another really Jesus-y thing. Yeah. And he talks about the Dementors, yeah. the Freshmaker. <laughs> As being part of his loyal army and the giants. Yes. He's like, don't worry. When we bust the Lestranges out of Azkaban and bring the Dementors with us, because they're our natural allies, he says, which I think is an interesting choice of words, I will reward the Lestranges for their incomparable loyalty. Because Voldemort and the Death Eaters, they are just like the Dementors. They feed. Right? They feed on people. They pray. Absolutely. They love sadness and darkness and terrible stuff. Absolutely. And very interesting that he talks about the giants, Mm. which we know had their own sort of split civil war. This was most likely because half of the giants were supporting Voldemort. Half the giants weren't. A lot of giants were killed in this great war, and a bunch of them ran to the hills, which seems to be a theme here, running to the hills. Run to the hills. It made me think about why Madame Maxime would have had that reaction. I am not a giant. I have beak bones. Yeah. Like, yeah. why would she deny being a giant? Maybe it's because people, like, associate giants yeah. with Voldemort. But I wonder if that's just another bullshit prejudice. And I can't believe that every single giant is like that. Right. I mean, like, the most— I'm part of the giant liberation front. Are you? <laughs> Maybe, like, arguably a little bit more difficult logistically than the house elf liberation front, just because of their size. But, I mean, really all we know about giants up until this point in the series is what Ron tells Harry at the Yule Ball, which is basically like— Oh, well, they have a violent nature. And Ron tells him a little bit about the war you were just talking about, this kind of civil war and how like the Aurors killed a lot of them. Or I think the wording was that they got a lot of them got themselves killed by the Aurors, which is really just six of one, half dozen of the other. But still, it's part of Ron's revisionist history bias that is stereotyping people to make himself feel more comfortable. Well, and, you know, I mean... This has not been a great book for Ron at all. But I also would say that, like, look at Molly's reaction to reading Witch Weekly and, like, how she treated Hermione. Like, I think that Ron is a pretty good yardstick for the wizarding world as a whole. You know, I don't think he's an exception to the rule. I think that if Ron holds this belief and that belief and this belief and that belief, it's probably because he heard it from his parents. And we know his parents are good people, but good people sometimes just don't have the right information. Yeah. You know, and so the fact that Madame Maxime was so offended by being by it being implied that she was part giant, you know, we could ascertain that maybe it's because they're associated with darkness, like with Voldemort. Maybe it's just because of what Ron said that people assume that they're violent creatures. Yeah. Maybe it's a little bit of both. 
but yeah, interesting point for sure. And when you, I'm not at all surprised that you chose to stop after this chapter. There is so much information dropped in this chapter. We're just like scratching the surface. So the gap is left for the Lestranges. McNair is also there. Now, I do not expect you to remember this. I don't. This is not an obvious thing. Don't know if you happen to remember the name of the executioner that was sent to behead Buckbeak. Mm. But it was McNair. McNair is interesting because we now have at least one confirmed, like, what is it called? Died in the wool Death Eater that works at the Ministry of Magic. Yes. And who Dumbledore welcomes into his school. Right. Right. Punk ass Dumbledore. (laughs) Traitor ass punk ass weak spine Dumbledore. Well, you I'm, know, I'm starting to wonder some things about Dumbledore. I'm really getting worried about this guy. <laughs> I'm getting worried about who he actually is or who he says he is. You know, it's um that's that's a journey I don't know if that journey ever ends, hon. You know, I I um I think that journey is is one that Harry James Potter is still on himself. So then we get to Crab and Goyle who are Crab and Goyle's dads. Which you did not realize at first. And when I, I was like, are there kids here? <laughs> what is she I, talking about? When I read this chapter, which I read it after you and after you had expressed your confusion about Crab and Goyle, I realized it is never stated that it's Crab and Goyle Sr. It is. But yeah. it's that's not clear. And then the I thought it was all. so funny thinking about like moving around the circle, the camera. <laughs> and here's Avery. And here's Wormtail with his robo arm. And then Lucius in his embarrassment. And then McNair in his own shame. And then Crab and Goyle. <laughs> Just little kids are both eating candy bars. They got those big giant lollipops. I got me lolly. <laughs> when you do the, the camera in my head, it's like adult face at eye level, adult face at eye level. And then it gets past McNair and like no one's in the camera. And then, and then, then the camera down. drops down. And, and the kids each have a giant lolly. <laughs> Although they are like described as like fairly large children, so they probably would be tall enough for the camera angle. Anyway, beside the point, Crab and Goyle Sr. Crab and Goyle the dads. Yeah. And what I had mentioned to you when we were just uh, chatting about this the other night, right after you read this and I clarified this for you, is that, you know, we've there are certain names that are these pure blood family wizarding names that if you see this last name, then you can bet they are directly related to this person and this person. Crab, Goyle, Malfoy is another one. You might remember in the chapter, the pensive, during the trial, one of the names that Karkaroff tried to give, which was one of the Death Eaters who had died in battle, was Evan Rozier. In Fantastic Beasts Crimes of Grindelwald, which is a prequel and takes place some um, 50 years. Oh, no, longer than that. Takes place in the 20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the characters is, I don't remember her first name, Rosier. So, like, these last names are, like, generations long, pure blood, like, you know, I think about, like, royal family names, right? That yeah. just And, the, you know, with that is probably going to come a lot of inbreeding as well, quite frankly. So then we get to Voldemort's eagle song. His eagle song? Yes. What does that mean? A song made popular by the eagles. 
Oh. But written by Jackson Brown. Oh. Oh, the band The Eagles. Yes. I thought you meant like a swan song, but like an eagle song. Yeah. Voldemort picks up this guitar (laughs) from next to his dad's tomb. It's a really surprising moment. And he sings. Rising up out of this bowl, trying to loosen my robes. Got six Death Eaters on my mind. How dare you? Two that betrayed me, one that wants to slay me, three of which are fucking dead. (laughs) Take it easy. Oh my God, that's exactly what this scene needed. It needed a musical number. So uh, I love this. He he says there's six missing Death Eaters in this circle. Three died in my service. Mm-hmm. One is too cowardly to return. Mm-hmm. One left me forever. And my one most faithful servant who is still at Hogwarts. Yes. This has had your, your brain in knots oh for like two days. God. And I'm like, am I dumb? Am I a dumb reader? Should I know this? No. Are people yelling at the podcast right now going, no. come on, you idiot. You know who these people are. He literally asked me, listeners... Am I going to see it coming? And I said, nope. <laughs> so the three died in my service. Yeah. I was thinking of Bertha. Possibly, but that doesn't make sense because we don't have any sort of inference that she's like associated with Voldemort. Yeah. Then I thought about Crouch, but we don't know if Crouch is dead yet. Well, I think there's an even simpler answer which is, again, if you think back to Karkaroff's trial that we saw in the pensive, there were at least two, I th- maybe three, but I think there were at least two Death Eaters that Karkaroff tried to offer as, you know, collateral or, or as bait to let yeah. them to, to get himself out of prison who were dead, who were killed by Aurors. One of them was Evan Rozier. Oh, that I just yeah. mentioned. Is um, this when he's going? Actually, listen. There's yes. there's some other people I can rat out, and they're like, he's already arrested. Yes, he's already dead. Exactly. Okay, exactly. so that would kind of explain some of them. Yes. Then one too cowardly to return. Mm-hmm. I think that's Snape. You think it's Snape? Okay. And Voldemort says he will pay. Well, there's two that could be Snape. Okay. One too cowardly to return. Okay, which could be Snape. Although Dumbledore has told us Snape was never a Death Eater. He just rolled with a, with a dirty crowd. Yeah, that's sort of what Dumbledore said. Ish. And then one left me forever could also be Snape. Right, right. Well. That sounds almost more likely. Like he used to be a Death Eater, but then something happened and he quit the Death Eaters. So that, what you just said, is more what Dumbledore said in that trial. Yeah, it wasn't that he Dumbledore didn't stand up because I think you're referencing that moment when he stands up in the courtroom and kind of vouches for Snape because Karkaroff throws out Snape's name. Yeah. And Dumbledore says, I don't remember the exact words, but to paraphrase, he says Snape was a Death Eater. That's right. Because that's but our he's first not confirmation. One now. Exactly. But he is no longer a Death Eater. He actually <clears throat> says he is um, no more a Death Eater than I am. No. Yes. So, Which. which leaves us with my most faithful servant who's still at Hogwarts. Right. (laughs) You're just like throwing you down your book. It could be, it could, I don't want this to be the case. And if this is the case, I might not read the rest of this series. It could be Dumbledore. Oh God. It could be Dumbledore. Please God, don't let it be Dumbledore. 
I don't think it is, or people wouldn't still have all these posters of like the dark times, the best of times. That's, you know, whoa, everything's gonna whoa. be okay. Like, <laughs> you got this. Hang in there. All of these like motivational Dumbledore yeah, posters. Yeah, you guys remember exist. those the lesser known Dumbledore quotes like "Hang in there." <laughs> yeah, you got this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, I think as a reader at this moment, it it, re- it could be really anybody, right? I mean. One most faithful at Hogwarts. This could mean at Hogwarts all the time. This could mean at Hogwarts pretty frequently right now. Who knows? At Hogwarts very recently is clearly Karkaroff. Okay. Right? That is my guess. If it's someone who's been there this whole time that we don't know is a Death Eater, my number one suspicion is Filch. Because we have not received... He seems to be an asshole. Mm Mm-hmm. And we haven't received any information about Filch. Okay. Filch was like, you know, someone spilled water. Someone spray painted the wall. Don't mess with my cat. Peeves, stop screaming at me. But I (laughs) don't think that, I think she would have given us more leads if maybe it was Filch. Right. Okay. So I'm thinking if it's temporary person that's there, it's Krakamoff. Karkaroff. Right, that's what I said. (laughs) If it's somebody permanent, it is either Filch or somebody that is just going to blow my mind and really hurt my feelings. Someone who's been like flying under the radar. Yeah. Of course, I think Bagman's a Death Eater too, so he could fit in there somewhere. Listen, Bagman's been spending a lot of time at Hogwarts. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, I don't trust him. It's deliberately vague at this point what at Hogwarts means. You know, whether this just means this year or this past 13 years, you know, who knows? Lucius Malfoy is essentially like, Daddy, will you tell us a story? We want to know how you, you know, and Voldemort's like, all right, children. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Once upon a time, (laughs) I tried to kill a baby. I myself was a young man. <laughs> Talking about a plan backfiring. <laughs> oh, well, did it ever. <laughs> so Voldemort breaks down the whole Harry situation here. Really good info here. Yeah. And you can fill in the missing gaps mm-hmm. from, from my notes. Now, when you say fill in the missing ga- gaps. Things do, that I'm not bringing up. Not Do you spoilers. want me to like jump in if yes. you miss? Okay. So, Voldemort had prepared for immortality. Mm-hmm. Did he do this preparation pre-trying to kill Harry? You shouldn't know that yet. Okay, but he would have had to have, because that's what kind of banished him. I don't know. We'll get back to that. Yeah. So, what happens is, when he tries to attack Harry, the ancient magic mm-hmm. that was in Harry's mom, which when he tried to kill Harry backfired and put him in this state did not kill him mm-hmm. of course because he's still here in some form mm-hmm. it put him in this like weird ethereal spirit state yeah which makes sense because we know headless nick and moaning myrtle we know that there can be this life after a body within this sure. universe sure so he's in some sort of weakened spirit state mm-hmm. but he needs a wand 
to help right. him. Right. Okay. He I'm knows gonna... that he can bring himself back, but he needs a wand, right? Exactly. So the only thing I will fill in there is Lily, Harry's mother, did not possess within herself any kind of ancient magic. The fact that she sacrificed herself for was her son ancient magic. was right. the ancient right. magic and rebounded Voldemort's curse. The other really interesting thing here is there's a line that where he says, you know my goal to conquer death. And I thought I would give you like a little interesting tidbit, which is that Voldemort's name is French and it's Vol de Mort, which more is death. And vol is flight. Now, de can mean a couple of different things. So his name translates as either flight of death or flight from death. Flight away from death. Right. It can kind of mean, depending on the, the context of the sentence as a whole, it could kind of mean either one of those things. And here's another th biblical thing. Right. Jesus said that he came to defeat death. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's there's it's some heavy Too Bible much. stuff for sure. My mom is cringing right now during <laughs> this episode. She's like, no, they didn't. <laughs> so he says that he can possess the bodies of others. Yeah. Right. So he can like possess someone's body. So creepy. Mm. Could have been Crouch. Down oh. the old forest. Tidbit, side bit. Let's not go too deep into it. <laughs> And he mostly possessed snakes. Yeah. But they didn't last long. They would die. Yeah. So he starts possessing these different animals, but like he still can't, he can't possess them to the point where he can use that animal's body to use his wand. And then no, he's still his. restricted to their bodies. Like, exactly. If you want to pick up a wand, a snake, bro. A snake. a snake. Why didn't you possess something with fingers? Right. Dumbass. Oh, my God. But I have in my notes, hold, please, hot take, Voldemort at the zoo. Yeah, tell me about this. You mentioned this to me. Could that have been Voldemort at the zoo? In the first book? Yes. When Harry gets pissed off and the glass disappears. Yeah. And then Dursley is all of a sudden inside of the thing, how do we know that was Harry's magic? How do we know it wasn't Voldemort's magic and Listen. that was Voldemort? Thanks. Here's what I'll tell you. Here's what I will tell you. I don't know of a single piece of evidence that tells us that that's not true. So people talk about this, though, in the Wizarding World. It's a fun, I don't think that that plot-wise, right. I do not think that's the case. But isn't it a fun thing to well, talk yes, about? Well, yes, definitely. And the snake at the beginning is is kind of bandied about, but it's usually that people think it was Nagini that was the snake in the first Damn. book. You know, that's like what the, if it the more was Voldemort theory. possessing Nagini? You know, and the Voldemort Nagini relationship is very strange. What if we find out that that's how Voldemort knows Nagini? He was a snake that he had possessed, and he became he got this relationship with him because he had possessed him, and he was like, you know, you can stick around, pal. I'll feed you chickens and little wizard boys and whatever you okay. want. <laughs> Just plentiful little and wizard like, boys. <laughs> so who he ended up possessing was stuttering teacher turban guy. What's Your boy his name? Quirrell. Quirrell. Your boy Quirrell. Professor Quirrell. Yes. And we know about this because of the whole Sorcerer's Stone thing and he yes. was in the back of his head and that whole deal. Yes. He tried to steal the Sorcerer's Stone, 
What's up? We all know how that turned yeah, out. Yeah, Golden Trio <laughs> shut you down. Uh, yeah. He retreated to the woods because everybody runs to the woods when yes. things happen in the Well, and Quirrell's body died. So Wormtail yeah. came. Yeah. Aided by rats. Rats helped him find Voldemort. It's a couple of interesting things here. And I actually have a question for listeners because I was going to Google this, but I would rather hear it from listeners if there's something that I'm forgetting. It is unclear to me in this moment whether or not Voldemort knows that Wormtail is an animagus who can turn into a rat. And I'll tell you why that's unclear. Because he says this thing in front of the others to Wormtail where he basically says, Wormtail here has particular affinity with rats don't you Wormtail it's unclear what his tone is there if he's giving a little yeah you've got an affinity because you also turn into a fucking rat I took it as that you did I but took it can as you I know also see it as yeah as he doesn't as know? he doesn't know but he's like for some reason you can really communicate with rats isn't that weird how dense is this chapter? so I think that's an interesting thing now I may be completely forgetting about some clarification that's in later books with this. So listeners, please let me know. I know there's some like really, really intensely good Harry Potter scholars that listen to this show. So tell me if I'm wrong. But the other thing is it also clarifies that, you know, back when we were talking Animagi, when we were talking about Sirius Black turning into a dog and, you know, you had some theories about whether or not he would have sex with dogs. Right. Like it kind of went there. But... We were sort of wondering, like, okay, so you you retain your human mind. We know because Sirius escaped Azkaban with the help of becoming this more primitive version. But the fact that we know that Wormtail, at least, can literally communicate with other rats. Yeah. And whether or not Voldemort knows the reason for this, we as the reader know that the reason is he has turned himself into a rat. But it's just, I don't know. To me, that's a really interesting tidbit about Animagi that I always forget. You know who hates rats? Who? Nikki Tootills. Nikki Tootills. He does hate rats. Freaking rats. Breaks their kneecaps. So Voldemort's in Albania because why not? Sure. Yeah. And Wormtail finds him mm-hmm. aided by the band Rat with two T's. <laughs> What's the song they sing? Hang on. There's a commercial on right now that's like, oh, we love our new apartment. It does have a bit of a rat problem. And then yeah. it cuts to the band Rat and they're singing their famous song. I just read an article that rats had a resurgence in uploads or downloads. Because of this because commercial? Of yep. Oh my God, good for them. So Wormtail stops at an inn. Yeah. For food. Yep. It's another kind of weird biblical, like, Christmas Day thing. But sure. But let's move past it. Sure. <laughs> because he's hungry, and he really needs some cheese. <laughs> so he's like, I'm on the way to meet the devil. I'm in rat form. Let me turn into a human and stop in here for a beer and a sandwich. Because <laughs> why not? And he's saddled up to the bar. He's mm-hmm. about four bourbons deep, and he looks over, and he's like, hey, you here by yourself? And it's Bertha Jorkins. <laughs> Bertha's shit hammered, right? <laughs> this is really. And Bertha's I don't like, remember hey, reading this. <laughs> I don't need. I don't come to this bar so some rat bastard can come t- hit on me. I'm just trying to have a drink. And he's like, "How did you know I was a rat, oh baby? My God, you've really. Is this your fan fiction that you're working on right now? So Wormtail invites her on a walk, and then 
overpowers her. This yeah. is so like Ugh. someone pulling someone out of a bar and then assaulting them. It's, it's very really, uncomfortable. Really uncomfortable. I agree. And he brings her to Voldemort. And Bertha, with a little persuasion. I have that in my notes, um, too. Crucio. Crucio, or, or, you know, I think there are even more nefarious things that that could mean. Yeah. You know, I think that that is left deliberately to our imaginations. But Saeed from Lost could have been there oh, with the bamboo shoving shoots. bamboo shoots under her fingernails. Stop it. I can't even watch that scene in Lost. Oh, I can't do it. But Bertha, with a little persuasion, tells Voldemort some stuff. Tells him about the Triwizard Tournament. Yep. That's happening. Tells him about a faithful Death Eater who would be happy to help. And basically how to contact this person. Yeah, this is like how you get your friend a job. Right. You're like, hey, <laughs> yeah. God, if we only just had an assistant marketing director. Oh, my friend Julie is looking for a job right now. She has a ton of experience in marketing. Well, cool. Sure. Tell her to shoot me an email. Sweet. I'll tell her that you said to email her. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, when Voldemort has, I mean, it, it, again, it's very much like a Dementor. It's feeding on this person when he has basically sucked every piece of information he can out of her. He's so damaged her brain and her body that she's dead. And he can't yeah. possess her because her body's worthless now. So he disposes of her. He kills her. You know what he does? He kills the spare. Oh, boom. Boom. He kills the spare. God, I'm so proud of you. I could cry right now. That was that was beautiful. So Voldy Pants says that he couldn't possess Wormtail. Right. Because as we know, Wormtail had faked his own death. He's supposed to not exist anymore. He can't just pop up. Exactly. Because then the National Enquirer would be like, Elvis is still alive. <laughs> right. But he could finally, with Wormtail in his presence, do magic by... Giving him orders, basically. Yeah, and I'm assuming Wormtail used his wand. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and did some silly things to Voldemort. <laughs> Maybe more than silly. <laughs> but he gives us the regeneration spell, the recipe, which is what yes. we've just seen, which is the reason that he's able to stand here talking. Yeah. So one, he needs flesh given by a servant. Mm -hmm. That's Wormtail cutting his hand off. Yes. Two, he needs the bone of his father, yep. which he extracted from the tomb. Yes. And then he needs blood of a foe. Yes. Which is Harry Potter. Now, he says, it could have been any wizard who hated me. There's yeah. so many wizards who hate me. I have a million foes. I'm kind of a big deal. I'm kind of a big deal. Yeah. It could have been any of them. But HP was the one... Because the lingering protection uh -huh. from Harry Potter's mom was somehow transferred into him. Now, this is mega, super, ultra interesting to me. Yes. That that ancient magic of her giving her life for another, mm -hmm. which is so beautiful. Oh, One yeah. of the most beautiful points of this entire series. Yeah. When it was reflected back on him, because that's what the scar represents. Right. The scar represents that spell going, nope. Exactly. And bouncing back. Yeah. Now, we've seen this 
previously in the series, we've seen spells bounce back on people mm-hmm. and it hit them. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it Ron trying to do a spell on someone that bounced back and made him puke up slugs? It was his broken wand. His broken yeah. wand. Take this broken, broken wand. Mm. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> but that lingering protection yeah. entered him. So the very thing that kind of killed Voldemort, so to speak, or Mm -hmm. took him out of his human form Mm -hmm. was the very thing that kind of kept him alive in a way. Well, it was, it was the fact that he wants Harry Potter as the foe in the spell because he believes that that magic will then also run in his veins, which goes back again to this whole taking something beautiful and perverting it, right? And the lengths that he goes to to make sure that it's Potter because there's a a whole lot of info and, and maybe I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but remember at the beginning of the book, we overhear this conversation between little baby bod Voldy, which he he built that little like makeshift body by like drinking unicorn blood and milking Nagini and you know all yeah, of that. Lots of Pedialyte Benadryl. <laughs> yes. Known, proven little baby bod maker. And you know, that's how he was kind of able to be transported. He he at least had some kind of form. But remember when we heard this conversation between him and Wormtail, or I should say Frank Bryce overheard this conversation, and so did Harry in his mind, Wormtail was saying, we could use someone else. We don't have to use the boy. You know, that's yes. what he's talking this about. at the very beginning of this book. Exactly. Which was at this point, you know, that would have been like August, September. Now we're in June. Mm-hmm. So they have had to put this elaborate plan in place to get Harry Potter where they need him to be because he can't be near Dumbledore. And Voldemort basically says Dumbledore's around him 24 seven. You know, I I can't like go to Hogwarts and like do my ritual. Fucking Dumbledore is everywhere. But also there's a very interesting thing mentioned here by Voldemort. Do you know what I'm about to say? Yes. Yeah, I do. Tell me. Dumbledore invoked an ancient magic to ensure the boy's protection as long as he is in his relation's care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Protection might be weaker at the Quidditch World Cup is what I have in my notes, yeah, right? Yeah. So as long as Harry is in his relation's care. Yeah. Now, we're talking about the Dursleys here. Yes. Right? Yes. But this is what I thought was a beautiful little shimmer of light that comes up here. Mm, tell me. Which is that as long as he was at the Dursleys, he couldn't be touched. Exactly. Remember when I was like, why did they do this to the kid? Why yeah. did they give him these dumbass muggles? Yeah. Because this is the ancient magic that Dumbledore put into it. Yeah. It's like, look, I don't want to drop this kid off with his aunt and uncle who are horrible human beings. Yeah. But they are his direct bloodline exactly and there's an ancient magic kind of like the ancient magic of harry's mom yes that would keep him protected so voldemort figures well at the quidditch world cup he's a thousand miles away from the dursleys he's not near dumbledore right this is the first time 
that this weak gazelle has left the rest of the herd and I can pounce on him. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? He was protected. He was. Because he was there with the Weasleys. He was. And remember, Voldemort didn't try to make a move at the Quidditch World Cup. He could have, but he ultimately decided against it. But I think you're right. I think had he moved on Harry at that point, he was with the Weasleys. Nothing would have happened to him. Just like at the champion's breakfast where he had no family there, but then his family showed up. I think the bond and the love of the Weasleys for Harry and them acting as if they were his family and creating him as part of the family is also ancient magic. Oh, I think that's really beautiful. That's where I'm coming from. That's the beautiful sliver that comes up throughout this whole thing. This is the rose that's growing out of the crack of the sidewalk. That is really nice. I talk about my grandparents a lot who were not blood-related to me in any way. But they were my grandparents through fidelity. Right. Through love. Through love. And I think that Harry was protected at the Quidditch World Cup by the love of the Weasleys for him. So sweet. I think that's lovely. And, and, and really, really beautiful. The Harry being protected while in his relations care, you know, that is uh, definitely an important point because it does kind of explain at least a little bit why Dumbledore left him with the Dursleys when he was a baby. Because remember, Petunia is Lily's sister. So, you know, it, they are his blood relatives. Petunia is his blood relative. Yeah on his mother's side. And, you know, I think that that's important because it was his mom who sacrificed right. herself. And, and you know, yeah. So that's an important, that's a, a very important point. Yeah. There. What I'm saying is that <laughs> the spell is based on blood relation. Mm-hmm. But what if part of the ancient magic right. is the power of love? Right. Don't take money. Don't, don't take, take fame. Something. Don't need no firebolt to ride this train. So basically, we can remember every single song that's ever been recorded except for one song by Rat. Right. Basically, is is what the, the moral of this episode is. Okay. So then he reveals that he used his faithful servant at Hogwarts to put Harry Potter's name in the Goblet of Fire. Yes. Which is either Bagman, mm. Karkaroff, mm. or Filch, in my opinion. Okay. Okay. All right. But, you know, you see how right from the get-go, there were a lot of people saying, various people said to Harry different versions of, whoever put your name in that cup is not your friend. And we know for sure that that was the case. Because all of this was a setup. Yeah, which I've been calling that the whole time. Absolutely. You really have. All of this has been a setup to get Harry to that graveyard. The faithful servant at Hogwarts also turned the Triwizard Cup into a port key. It's not like they just changed the location of the port key. Like the Triwizard Cup was literally supposed to be, I grab it and I come out of the maze with it. Yay, go me, I win. Right. It was this faithful servant at Hogwarts who turned it into a port key. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Man, majorly. So Voldy kind of gets to the end of his story time. He starts wrapping up and, you know, tortures Harry a little bit. We get a description of what the Cruciatus curse 
feels like because it's the first time it's been done to Harry. And since Harry's our protagonist, this is then the first time that we're kind of learning what it feels like. And and he says something about his bones are on fire. So this is a, a hot, searing, sharp kind of torture pain. Awful. And then he says, Harry and I must fight now. He's so Grab showy. your wand. He's so showy. Like, he's so showy. Voldemort, ki- like, this kid, this 14-year-old kid, is tied up to a headstone. Like, you could just do the damn thing right now, right? Like, yeah. you could just do it. But no, I need to prove to all of you that this little baby didn't hurt me. Because he goes, he, he makes an emphasis of... I hadn't calculated for that. I will admit, I did not plan on, or it didn't occur to me that there was like ancient magic, like, I don't know, a mother sacrificing her life for her son that might have like outwitted me. But I will not make that mistake again. And I'm going to prove it to all of you right now because I'm about to fight this little boy. Like, I mean, what a showy, insecure bastard, right? He wants to prove how strong he is by fighting Harry. And that's where we that's where we end this chapter right before Priori and Cantatum. Which I is feel like the chapter. end of this chapter is at the beginning of Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter where you choose your character and then they're just yes. both kind of like moving around. Ooh, fight. And then he goes, fight. So I used to love Chun-Li when I played Street Fighter. But when I played Mortal Kombat, I always played Katana. Katana with her little things, her little, yeah. what are they, Katana? Are they called Katana? Yeah. Like she's named after her own weapon. That's mm. not very creative, but okay. Um, oh, yeah. She was a badass and very scantily clad for someone who's she about to fight in the street. sexy beast, Katana. There's <sighs> a lot of sexism in video games. Yikes. Well, I'm certainly curious what Professor Kevlani sees in his crystal ball. So, like you said, I read this a few days ago, so I've had time to ruminate on it. And originally, my prophecy was going to have to do with who the six Death Eaters are. But I knew we needed to discuss that in the body of the text during the show. So, I have another prophecy, and this is that This is an either or. Okay. We are either going to find out that in Dumbledore's mission to protect Harry, Uh he made a critical error at some point. Okay. Or in the future of this series, at some point, Dumbledore will make an absolutely critical error. Interesting. And the reason I say this is because of that conversation where Dumbledore said, oh, there's all kinds of things in this school I don't expect. Right. I didn't know there was this room full of a thousand urinals. (laughs) I didn't know there were all these things. Yeah. Like, I've always said he's the puppet master, but he only has as much information as he has. Yeah. And we try to think of Dumbledore as infallible. But I don't think that's the case. I think that he made a critical error somewhere, most likely in allowing Voldemort's faithful servant to show up at this school in whatever manner 
he ends up there, whether it's Karkaroff and he was invited. Okay. Or whether it was Filch and he was hired. Right. Right. Or whoever it is. Yeah. I think that Dumbledore made a seriously critical error there. And or he will make a seriously critical error in the future that could jeopardize Harry's life. I think what we're heading towards is great man, Dumbledore. As long as Dumbledore's at the school, no one can touch us. He's untouchable as long as he has Dumbledore. There's this constant Dumbledore is this all-powerful dude, and I think that she's setting us up to show us that he's more human than we think. Gotcha. Because even in this chapter, Voldemort during his story time, or actually I think it's Voldemort when he's kind of putting everybody on blast says a few things about Dumbledore. He's like, maybe some of you, this is during his like self Q and a, maybe some of you thought that I wouldn't come back because of Dumbledore, you know, like Dumbledore's name comes up quite a few times in this chapter. So, okay. The first four letters are dumb. That's that's accurate. That's very accurate. Yeah. It's also, I think the German word for bumblebee. What, Dumbledore? Yeah. Maybe not German. It's um maybe it's like old English. It it means bumblebee in something. Some other language. Or it's like a really drunk person trying to say bumblebee. And I was messing around in my backyard, and next thing you know, I got stung by a Dumbledore. (laughs) A what? A bumblebee. (laughs) Very nice. Our Hedwig's digital get-down comes from our dear, wonderful Katie. Who is the traitor? Ooh, okay. That's my Hedwig digital get-down. How am I going to name that? I feel like that's... Hedwig's graveyard mystery, don't trust anybody song. Yes. Boom. Katie says, events unfolding in the U.S. as well as in your progress within Goblet of Fire got me thinking about trauma and reactions to it. My sister worked for a family service center for a number of years. She was essentially a coach and counselor for at-risk teens and young adults who had left home and were transitioning to living on their own. She witnessed the effect early and sustained trauma had on the development of youth and their ability to cope with the minutia and ups and downs of everyday life. She is an avid Harry Potter fan, but found as she progressed in her career that his ability to navigate life after the neglect and abuse from living with the Dursleys, coupled with his experiences at school, made his choices and actions entirely unrealistic for his level of trauma that he endured. This got me wondering if Harry Potter and other fictional stories with a similar narrative are setting our society up for a false perception of an individual's ability to recover after abuse. Granted, he doesn't have an easy time of it, but Harry is able to resist powerfully seductive outlets for aggression and anger with little more than a surly attitude to friends. In our world, this is almost impossible given the emotional toll abuse takes on us. This question is mostly directed to Amanda with her professional insight, but I know Kevin is knowledgeable as well, so I would love to hear both of your takes. Wowzers. It's a great question. I so need- do you want to jump in this first, or do you want me to give my layman sort of insight and then have you clarify it? Do that. So I would argue that... 
the hero's story is someone overcoming insurmountable odds and that it is not unrealistic for people to experience severe trauma and have it expressed in only subtle ways or not expressed at all because A, people express their trauma through different ways and B, human beings are outstandingly, human beings are surprisingly resilient creatures. So true. So true. I have so many thoughts happening right now. And I want to preface this by saying I do not have like all of my psychological research at my fingertips. So I'm not going to have like specific sources to cite you. So I'm probably going to be in danger of making a lot of Trumpy statements like a lot of people say and many people say. And I hate statements like that. But I promise you (laughs) there is research behind these. I just don't have it at my fingertips. So... A, and I don't want to lay this out as just an argument against your sister's viewpoint, although most of what I have to say is counter to what, Katie, what your sister says. First of all, definitely what you said, right? Like, we cannot say when children experience trauma, this is how they react because we're discounting all of the tiny variabilities between, you know, just from human being to human being. But we're also completely discounting genetics at that point, which, you know, we know environment is very important to our development and arguably the most important between nature versus nurture to our development. But nature is part of it too. You know, there's a lot, and here I go with these Trumpy statements, there's a lot of research to suggest that genetics play a larger part in our personality than we thought, right? I mean, like, think about it. Like, I catch myself saying things sometimes, and I'm like, oh, my God, I am my mother, right? (laughs) What about when people say, I had a shitty childhood, and you didn't see me become a drunk? Right, right. It's like, well, you're two different people, number one. And number two, what if this person had a genetic predisposition towards alcoholism that you didn't have? Exactly. So Even if you both experienced the same trauma. Yeah, we cannot completely discount genetics. And you bring up another really good point, which is where I think I, I do kind of in some ways converge with Katie's sister's opinion in that I think sometimes people can sort of weaponize this stereotype of what traumatized children are supposed to grow up and become. But I don't know that like the Harry Potter series is guilty of giving us unrealistic expectations about what can come out of childhood trauma. Because for one thing, I don't necessarily agree that Harry's not all that traumatized either, right? I think his trauma expresses itself in less obvious ways. Ooh, that's something to think about. Because here's the thing. We know Harry has a major hero complex, right? We know that he deliberately, from the age of 11, has been putting himself directly in harm's way to save the Sorcerer's Stone or his friend or the world or whatever, right? He's very guilty of going, nope, I'm going to do this on my own. Even when logically and rationally, he's got to know he doesn't have the skill or the knowledge or the expertise to handle this alone, but he does it anyway. That's not normal behavior for one thing, right? Now, 
it's very good that he is this way or else the Sorcerer's Stone would have fallen into Voldemort's hands in book one and, you know, the whole series would have been done. But the other thing is, even in book four, we've seen a lot of examples of Harry having nightmares, having, you know, definitely all of the insecurities that come along with being a teenager. But, you know, he does have some angry outbursts. He's got a lot of things pretty consistent with a post-traumatic, stressy, trauma-related sort of thing. But on top of that, you've got to remember that even if we go back to the diagnostics of post-traumatic stress disorder, you are not given a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder just because something traumatic happened to you. Right. That's not the diagnostic criteria. There are actually more people who experience trauma and do not go on to develop post-traumatic stress disorder yeah. than there are people who do go this on to develop it. This is something that I've brought up before on the show that really drives me crazy mm. is when people talk about veterans of military service. It's like the old term shell-shocked which is a very offensive term. Absolutely. But people try to lump all veterans into having PTSD. Right. Or they say, this is how PTSD expresses itself. Yeah. And you don't know that. People yeah. are different. And it's disrespectful, I feel like, to Definitely. people who have, you know, given their lives to the service of their country. I think another good point, Katie, is that this is a super hard question to answer Definitively also because the author doesn't give us super deep insight into Harry's psyche from right. his viewpoint. Right. We don't get a lot of text that says Harry thought about the Dursleys right. and his neglect. That's true. And how much he had longed for a father. Things are inferred. Like we see the relationship with Sirius. Yeah. We see his relationship with um, Wolf Guy. Lupin, my Lupin. favorite character right. of the series. With Lupin. Yeah, sure. Yeah. We Wolf see guy. these things, but it's not the kind of story to where she really like gives us all of that information. You're so right. But yeah. this is great. I feel like I this is this something question. that we could sit down and talk about Holy crap. for hours. I will kind of edit myself and 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 wrap this up because I do genuinely feel like I could take the next 45 minutes and have a really, really like awesome conversation with you about this. But I do definitely want to make the statement that I am no expert in childhood trauma. Any expertise I have with trauma is limited to adults. That's where my education is. And, you know, so there may be factors about childhood trauma that I'm just not aware of. I get what Katie's sister is saying in that, you know, there Trauma for children is bad, right? Like, we don't want that. Yeah. It's not good. It's Adverse bad for their childhood experiences. It's bad. We can all agree on that. But I, I also know, and you do too, I have people in my own life who had horrific childhoods, rife with neglect and abuse and trauma, who now I don't know all of their inner workings, but I can tell you to the outside world, are incredibly functioning, healthy parents themselves, yeah. you know, like I know it's possible because psychological research tells me it is, but I also know it's possible because I've literally seen it. Also, this series is so good at making you think about the questions like Katie's sister is asking. I know. Could there be 
a better representation and more of a story of childhood trauma within this series. Could she have given us a better right. gift? Sure. I don't know. But if you've ever sat down and talked to Katie before, Ooh. she is a brilliant human being yes. who can... Katie could literally talk to you about the sand at the beach for the next three hours. Yes. And you would be absolutely riveted. She's got and a- I can only imagine that her sister is probably the same way. Absolutely. Like, I want to sit down and have a bourbon with your sister, Katie, and you, because I love you, Katie. And like really hash this out and talk it out. And I would probably do a lot of talking with my hands like I'm doing right now, which I tend to do when I talk about psychology and anything. Um, but yeah, what a great question. And I I would also put a pin in, I don't know that Harry is not all that traumatized. And I, I'm not going to go any further into that because there are a lot more overt signs of that trauma that I think are have not made themselves apparent yet that will make themselves apparent in coming books. And I would also like to talk to Katie about the costuming in the movies. Yes. Since she is a brilliant costumer. Absolutely. And designer. Oh, and artist. absolutely. So good. So good. Thank you, Katie. Thank that was you, awesome. Katie. We love those type of questions. Such a great question. Anytime I can talk about psychology, I'm a happy gal. It's time for marriage lessons. And since you read first, you are also up first with your marriage lesson. It's a tough chapter to draw, like, any positive inspiration from. Yeah, it wasn't this one like, oh, God. <laughs> I know. Wait till we get to winners and losers. My yeah. God. This is about giving your spouse a robo hand and how you have to chop their hand off first oh. before you can give them a robo-hand. Should I be worried right now? So what I'd like you to do on air is please lay your hand on the coffee table. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Please, no. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> so my marriage lesson, this has to do with us mm-hmm. and our marriage, but it also has to do with society right now. Okay. And I'll also tag a little bit on the end of this episode to sort of expand on this marriage lesson. Okay. But love is ancient magic. Oh. Period. Mm. If you think about love, if you think about what people are able to do out of sheer love, the way that a mother is able to protect her child. Yeah. The way that someone can lift an 800 pound block off of someone else out of their love for them. The sacrifices that you make. Love, try to define love. Right. Ask a scientist what love is. Right. Ask them to draw you a graph of what it is. In our world, not the wizarding world, in our actual world, what is it? When you say you love someone, when you know that you love someone, when you have a love for a band, when you have a love for your wife, when you have a love for a child, your love for a pet, the love of your country, all of these different forms that it takes, but it's so powerful yeah. because in our world, it truly is ancient magic. Yeah, It is something that animals that don't have our giant human brains, they show love. Yes. They experience love. And- It has healing power, this love. And I think this is what we're seeing right now 
with the Black Lives Matter civil rights movement that is happening across the globe yeah. at the time of this recording. Yeah. And this is what we need to remember within the movement is that love is ancient magic. Yes. People are like, what happened? What the hell happened? Like one minute we were just fighting COVID-19 and the next thing you know, we have millions of people in the streets. Yeah. It's because an ancient magic was released. Yeah. And that ancient magic that was released, yeah, it's a quest for justice and truth and it's born out of frustration. And, and violence. It's, and it's born out of, you know, the oppression of certain people. But what is pushing this movement and the reason that curfews are being lifted yeah. and the reason that things are actually starting to change is because of this ancient magic called love. And we can't forget that. Oh, I love that. And so my marriage lesson is that let us remember that our love for one another is bigger than a choice to marry someone. All right. It's bigger than a sexual attraction or a romantic attraction to someone. It's an ancient magic that binds us and it's oh. bigger than both of us. Dag, hon. That's really sweet. And I don't always feel super lovable. So that's really nice and and wonderful for you to say. Now, this is the part where you're supposed to say, "What are you talking about, honey? You're always lovable." Instead, you're just quiet. What are you like? Also, a little bit of a, a vague response there. So that's you are fun. lovable. Okay, thank you. Ask the listeners; they think you're lovable. Oh, that's really sweet. Well, my marriage lesson is is you know I, I'd like to think that it's a, a positive thing, um, but you really I think won the crown at being able to take something very beautiful out of this incredibly dark chapter. My marriage lesson has to do with punishment, <laughs> and I will preface this by saying I am almost positive I've actually had a nearly identical marriage lesson in the past. But I'm okay with that because I think this one is is really, really important. I think all of us can like agree and say punishment's unhealthy. We don't like punishment. From a psychological perspective, we know that punishment doesn't work. And yet we do punish each other, right? Like we're passive aggressive or we go, you know what? I'm not going to make the bed this morning because I made the bed yesterday morning. Like that's a punishment. That's a form yeah. of punishment, right? So this came to me out of the fact that, you know, it, I, I think it's a very obvious kind of place. Voldemort has had all of these people return to him, just like he said about Wormtail, out of fear, right? He he downs Wormtail about coming back to him out of fear rather than loyalty. But that's why all of these people are here. Are you kidding me? There are like three separate points where Harry observes that a shudder just passes through the whole group. They're terrified of this guy. They don't love him. They don't love him. And they don't, I, I would even argue that they don't even feel loyal to him. I think they would identify it as loyalty, but really it's fear. And it's fear because he is a punisher. Yeah. He's not the punisher. Right. <laughs> Just to be clear. Of comic book fame. Right. right. But he is a <laughs> punisher. He tortures two different people just within this one chapter. I mean, like this guy is all about punishment. So my marriage lesson and what I think is subtly different than the first time I did punishment, which I think I swear was like way back in book one. 
do self inventories and reflections on a regular basis to identify the little teeny ways that you are punishing someone. And in the course of our marriage, we would be talking about maybe identify the ways that maybe I wasn't even conscious of it at the time, but I was punishing you for yeah, something. And we do it. And we Everyone do it. We're human it. beings. Absolutely. And check yourself on that shit. Yeah. And I think that this is a really good companion marriage lesson to yours because I feel like the more we can self-inventory and recognize those those little tiny jabs that we take, I think the more open we're going to be to that ancient magic, right? And, yeah. and the, the, more, the more likely we are to receive it. I really love what you said about ancient magic and love because this has been a really tough week to be a Harry Potter fan for me. I can only speak from my own experience, but I know that a lot of things have made me go, oh no, am I, am I supposed to abandon this series now? But it's such a part of my life. I have it tattooed on my body. Like this is a part of my soul and, and I don't want to do that. Right. And I think that, you know, the reason I chose Daniel Radcliffe's words to read at the top of this, which I think really is like bookended well by your marriage lesson, is the fact that you love what you love for a reason. And as long as you have a value system you're comfortable with, art can inform that value system independent of the rest of it. Also, here's my thing about that. Art is only art, at least in this capacity, when it's consumed, right? If no one had ever read this series, then the author would have just put some words together over the course of seven books, right? The fact that it was read and absorbed and transformed into something else within each person who read it is what made it art, not her. It's you and your reaction to it. You want to make it even more relevant? Okay. Today or yesterday in her statement about her recent tweets and stuff. JK talked about trauma that she had gone through and that story should be taken seriously. And it was a a bold thing and a very brave thing that she discussed with her family and decided to make public. And she did so to sort of explain why she has this fear of abuse. What she's missing is the ancient magic that is people being who they really are yeah. and living their truest lives. Yeah. And you can't tell someone else that they're not living their truest life. Right. I have a suggestion for JK if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Go back and read this series. Read your own Maybe you're too far away from it now. Yeah. Maybe you're too close to the material, but enough time has gone back. Go back and read the series. Also, good for you. It's, It's brave of you to talk about your abuse, but you're doing so in an attempt to instill fear about something that just doesn't happen. Yeah. And you're not seeing people for who they actually are. My prophecy is that I think she's going to come around on this. I hope This isn't my hope because I'm a new HP fan. I don't really have any devotion to JK, right? I wouldn't know her if I passed her in the grocery store. All right. But 
I think she'll get there because I think that she has to have people in her life that love her enough to say, hey, get where you're coming from, but this is where you're coming down on this the wrong way. And now she's sort of doubling down. Yeah. And this is also tweets and social media and all of like the, you know, the weird aspects of all of that thing. Her publicist, what do I say? What do I not say? And all this stuff. Right, right. My prophecy is that she is going to unlearn this. She needs to eat the chocolate of the ancient magic of love. How dare you bring Lupin into this? And I am, I'm upset, but I'm also hopeful. I, I love that. And I'm going to feed off of your hope because as someone who is a devoted fan, I think that I'm like too hurt to feel hopeful right now. But I also think that you can kind of like bask in the glow of someone else's hope. And if and when that day comes for each and every fan, that's going to be a personal decision whether or not to accept that. And I think either way is totally fine because, you know. I think that she wants people to know how hurt she is. And in doing so, doesn't realize how bad she's hurting other people. And I guess that's where, like, I think that you are a lot more charitable and this is a good thing. You know, I, I, I love this about you. I think that you're, you're feeling more charitably towards her than I am. I think she does know she's hurting people and I think she's doing it anyway, but I don't know that that's true because I don't live in her mind. Right. So I don't know. I think that your view of it is something that's a lot nicer to spend my mental energy on you know it doesn't feel good to be in this mental place because if we don't believe that people can change then we have no hope of dismantling systematic racism true yeah we have no hope of growing ourselves as people and unlearning our prejudices yeah and unlearning our biases yeah this is a lifelong process yeah you do this for the rest of your life there's no woke state right you don't it's not enlightenment Right. It's hard fucking work. Yeah. Is what it is. And ongoing work. And it's ongoing work. Yeah. And if I refuse to believe that someone can change, then I refuse to believe that myself can change. Yeah. Do I believe that people need to check themselves? Yes. Do I believe in justice? Absolutely. Yeah. But I also think that we need to guide and focus our energy into enlightening people. Yeah. If JK was sitting on my couch right now, I wouldn't say, read your tweet, fuck you. I would. (laughs) I I would say, hey, here's some things you aren't considering. Yeah. Because guess what? There's a better life than the life you're living. It's a better life for you, and it's a better life for this group of marginalized people who are literally attacked and killed because of the same type of shit that you're yeah. supposing with these tweets. Yeah. Check your power. Yeah. You know, you are a super powerful businesswoman that has a, a giant reach. Yeah. And every time that you pick that wand up, you need to be careful about yeah. the spell that you cast. Oh, 
That's beautifully said. So let's move on to something more fun. Okay, let's do it. How about Marauder shoutouts? Do you want to know the uh, the challenge I have for oh, you God. today? I can't imagine. So we know that what I have termed Voldy Scrap, which was the first state of like being for Voldemort post rebounding curse. There's just like a little scrap of something. Little puppet baby or spirit boy? Spirit boy. Yeah. Little spirit boy. We know that he then became puppet baby as you just yeah. so wonderfully coined, um, because of a, a nice little cocktail of unicorn blood and Nagini's milk venom. And Benadryl and Pedialyte, as we already discussed. Absolutely. That goes without saying. Yeah. So I want to know, what is in the concoction that brings our marauders back to their full form? If they were just floating around in a spirit form? Absolutely. Okay. What's in the concoction? We're going to start with Josh Bailey. Three shots of bourbon. Ooh, this is specific. Okay, yeah. And the entire complete DVD collection of Avatar Airbender. So, like, world up? No, you put this in a cauldron. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah, all of these I'm seeing as these putting into a love cauldron. Love it, love it. So three love shots it. of bourbon, mm-hmm. the entire box set of Avatar Airbender. You Avatar, to, the last Airbender. The last Airbender. Josh is going to be so offended if you yeah, just call it already, Avatar he's, Airbender. He's already pissed right now. <laughs> and you're going to throw a little bit of that in there. Yeah. And a few sprigs of his dog Sully's hair. Stop. He would Fully be, formed. He would be unstoppable. Fully formed, well-dressed, handsome bastard just walking right through the door. <laughs> handsome bastard with an epic quarantine beard, let me tell yeah. you. How about Vicky Gutherless? So Vicky would need a hair from each of her cats. Okay. Would be put into the cauldron. Sure. A hair of Rick's. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Ouch! <laughs> Rick's like, ow, damn it! A hair of Rick's. And a spoonful of sugar like Mary Poppins. Ooh! Oh, how nice. I love it. How about Brienne Brown? Double B. Mm-hmm. Well, since her name is Brienne Brown, yeah. and I call her Double B, right. one ingredient would be baked beans, only because oh. there are two Bs. I love baked beans. Also, a whole packet of BBs, like you shoot out of a BB gun. Wow. Okay. Yeah. A box of the candy jujubes. <gasps> Stop. And then an actual honeybee. Oh my God. Yes. Heather Bevels. Heather Bevels' cauldron would just be a fondue pot. Ooh. And what she'd have to put in there was delicious fruit and vegetables okay. or whatever they had at the Little Dipper. Heather is going to have to get through me to get regenerated because I'm going to be eating the shit out of that. That sounds so good. All right. Brace yourself. Caitlin Dismuke. He's already laughing. It's, I'm so sorry, Caitlin. I don't know why this has happened. Katie Dismukes. Katie Dismukes. Katie Dismukes is going to need one drop of sweat from one NBA player. I vote Michael Jordan. One drop of sweat from a college basketball player. I don't know anybody's name. They could be in the NCAA. They could just be in CAA. That's up to her. Sure. It's her spell. And then the air out of a basketball. <laughs> so three basketball related references. I love it. Listen, Michael Jordan is on my like, he's on my personal like weekly winners list. 
And he's a local hero, too. He went to high school here. He's amazing. How about Austin Scroggins? Austin. Awesome Austin. I'm always making fun of Austin for being young. (laughs) So in that tradition, Austin's going to throw into the cauldron a pair of AirPods. (laughs) Yes. A Red Bull. Yes. And then he has to pick the cauldron up and say, yeet, and throw it. (laughs) Oh, my God. Austin's probably like, oh, my God, nobody says yeet anymore. (laughs) Oh, God. Don't you know? He's cringing every time we talk. How about Peter Collins? Peter. Peter's just going to have a mix of records that he throws in. Mm. Like, I think he might throw a Who vinyl. Okay. In there. Okay. Might be a Pink Floyd vinyl, possibly The Wall. Okay, okay. Maybe a vintage copy of Ziggy Stardust. Sure, sure. Maybe like some Bee Gees for like a little unexpected yeah. And then element. he'll use it and he'll make a tea out of it and he'll have a proper cuppa. Love it. A proper musical cuppa. Faith Kenfield. <laughs> I love how you say her name. It's just Faith Faith. Faith. Welcome, welcome back. My name is Faith Kenfield, and I'm <laughs> this is NPR. To... <laughs> back to you, Faith. <laughs> I think Faith is going to put in three ingredients. Okay. Sugar, spice, and everything nice. Oh, yes. I love it. Kelly Moore. She needs one of Tom's toenails. Oh, how my God. She, listen, how she gets it is up to her. A whole toenail? No, it could just be a clipping. Oh. Oh, okay. One hair of Daisy, the dog. Okay. And a half gallon of bullet bourbon. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Don't taint the bullet bourbon with toenail clippings and dog hair. It, it's a crime. That's how I drink my bourbon. That's what do you take, Ice? A problem. We don't even have a dog, so I don't know where you're getting a dog hair, but sure. How about Dean Heath? Dean. Dean. Dean's going to put in his cauldron. One kiss from his beautiful daughter, oh. which she could blow him like, you know how you blow kisses? Yeah. She blows a kiss. It goes into the cauldron. Yeah. He also takes a hair from the panther's mascot. Yes. And drops it in. Sure. That's the second ingredient for Dean. Sure. Yeah. And then the third ingredient is the script from the play that we did together <gasps> almost 20 years ago, which is how we met. Which the name of that play is Picasso at the La Pinagil, which I did a different production of in 2018. That's right. Isn't that interesting? And you know why we are friends with Dean now, 20 years later? Why? It's a little something called ancient magic. There you go. There you go. Jennifer Ayers. Jennifer Ayers is going to have to throw in. One ounce of sticky, icky Colorado greenery. Of naturally. Right. Of it's course. legal there, so she'll have no problem procuring it and putting it into the for pot. For sure. For sure. A hand- into the pot? Right. Oh. A handful of snow. Okay. Which it was actually snowing in fucking Colorado. Are you yesterday. kidding me? It is the end times. It's the end times. Just buckle up, everybody. Wow. And then a breath of fresh air, as they say. Oh, I love it. A little like wafting the daisies fresh air yeah like dandelion little wispy things that blow in the wind mm. how about ben clark i think ben clark is just going to take the cauldron fill it with beer let gerald swim around in it and get drunk 
That's it. And then he's fully reformed. Right. He's got his physical body back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Total Philly gear head to toe. <laughs> Lovely. It's fantastic. Samantha Tillman. Sammy Tills. Well, one ingredient is urethane, because I'm pretty sure that's what roller skate wheels are made <laughs> yes, out of. Yes. Two is a 40-ounce Miller High Life, because... She's swilly like Tilly, even though she doesn't really drink. <laughs> Natch, yes. And a funny joke from Nick. Oh, yes. He just like speaks it into the cauldron. Yeah, and oh, it drops good. in. Now, Natalia Ward. Now, you owe it to Natalia Ward to do this as Morrissey. Because Natalia and I had a conversation about, as all this shit was going down with JK, she who must not be named, whatever, the author... Natalia and I were going back and forth about how it, it reminds us of, of our, we both love the Smiths, but Morrissey is a garbage person. Yes. And so we were just kind of like talking about that and how you can like still love the Smiths music, even though Morrissey is the literal worst. And you and I always joke about how Morrissey sets you up for a rhyme, yes. but then doesn't use a rhyming word and it drives yes. me crazy. Oh my God. So, Natalie Warden, she'll pick a few vegetables from her raised bed <laughs> yes it's fantastic he does a lot of morrissey like movements little too. country boy <laughs> oh you know what i just thought of what is the night bus what about the night and if a double decker night bus oh. crashes into us ooh to die by your side. Oh, what a terrible way to die. It's a, it's a heavenly way to die. What a heavenly die. way to die? Yes. Oh, sorry. Heavenly way to die. <laughs> sorry, right, shit bag. <laughs> yes, correct. And to neo-Nazi, which is always fun. Um, how about, last but not least, Nick Tillman? A hundred dollar bill. Sure. A gold chain. Sure. Two cufflinks. Love it. Love Forget it. Forget about it. Done. Done. Forget about it. Bada bing, bada boom. Okay, winners and losers, end of show announcements, dad jokes. Okay. I gotta, be, I gotta be honest with you. This was a tough week for like finding a winner. I don't know if you had trouble with this, but I had some serious trouble with this. So who is your winner? This is left field. Okay. But this goes back into one of the theories I had in this episode. Okay. Arthur Weasley. Oh, okay. Explain this to me. Because he took the time to give Harry the gift of taking him to the Quidditch World Cup. Sure. And in my opinion, Arthur Weasley's love for Harry provided this quote-unquote relation protection oh. that Dumbledore had put into place, and oh. that's how he saved Harry's ass. That's so nice. That's so nice. God, I wish I had thought of something nice like that. Okay, admittedly, for my winner, I had to just think about this chapter as a standalone. Who is doing the best? So this isn't a winner in a moral sense. Definitely not. This is like, who's having the best day? In which case, we got to give it to Voldy, right? I mean, he regenerated his whole body. He's like running the place right now. Yeah, he's... he's 
doing pretty good. He's king shit of fuck mountain right now. Yeah. Like he really is. So I, I don't like giving him a winner award, but I, it was really a lack of options at this point. I wanted to give it to Harry, but I was like, Harry also like does literally does not do anything. He's not able to do anything. Because his hands are tied. Because <sighs> <laughs> oh, God, that's fucking awful. Okay, so I'm not going to give Voldy any more time, but he's he was the like the only winner that I had. Okay, so who is your loser? The dirty rat Wormtail. Naturally, naturally. Why is he your loser this week out of all of these losers? Because he's such a chump. Yeah. Because he screwed this whole thing up. Yes. I mean, you could blame Wormtail for a lot of bad things happening in this series. Absolutely. And he's such an ass kisser. Yes. To Voldemort. And he's like, you chopped my hand off. But thank you for the robo hand. I'm a chomp. Yeah. He's he's awful. He's truly yeah, awful. And he caused a lot of this mess. Yeah. He definitely did. Well, my loser Kind of out of left field. I'm giving it to Avery this week. Oh my God, poor Avery. (laughs) Listen, Avery just gets straight tortured. He literally doesn't get any compliments. Like with the rest of them, Voldemort gives at least a backhanded compliment. But with Avery, he's just like Crucio. (laughs) So Avery just gets nothing. Avery, you had one job. You had one job. You can't even serve Lord Voldemort correctly. Right. Voldemort had literally nothing to say to you. He just tortured you because, like, presumably he just does not like your face. So Avery's my loser. Okay, really quick end of show announcements. And by the way, I think after this week, we're just going to have to go back to, a like, a pre-recorded, like, roll it kind of thing because I just forget something every week and my brain, like, can't hold on to it. So... Check us out on our social media outlets, channels. I don't know what the kids are saying. We have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash the fox and the foxhound. You can find us on Twitter at fox and foxhound. No these, no thous, no thus, no thys. There, yes, none of those things. You can find us, however, on Instagram at the fox and the foxhound because you're allowed more characters in your And you can slide in into our DMs. You can slide into our DMs on Twitter or on Instagram or on Facebook, which is how Katie sent this week's question. You can also email us, thefoxandthefoxhound at gmail.com. Email us your questions. If you love the show, if you have a critique of the show, all of that is fair game to come to our email. If you would like to draw a picture of Ben Spider Gerald yes. and what you think he looks like. We need to have an art contest. You can send that to us. Oh, my God. If you're interested in a future The Three Zoom Sticks session, please let us know on email. We haven't forgotten about The Three Zoom Sticks. It's just like been a little bit nuts. And we are unable to do it this weekend because Kev is going camping. Possibly. Possibly. Depending on the weather. Maybe going camping. But maybe we might shoot for like next weekend. So we might be looking towards the end of June for our next three Zoom sticks. We'll we'll let you know. But if you're yeah. interested in that, definitely hit us up. Check out our website, thefoxandthefoxhound.com. We post past marriage lessons, past prophecies. You can go back and see every single prophecy from the beginning and see when Professor Kevlani has gotten it really right and when he's gotten it really wrong. So there are a few things that I have failed to put on social media or on the website that I would like to add if we can in some way. Ooh, like what? And that are all of the things that I request from Brian Wackler. Mm. Like Oscar the Crouch yeah. and those sorts of things. And I say, 
looking at you, Brian Wackler. Mm-hmm. Within like 24, 48 hours, he sends them to me. Can we yes. post those somewhere? Absolutely. Because okay. now they've become My phone so is like full of them. Good. Because they've become so numerous. I think they do like deserve their own place. So yeah, we'll can we call we'll it have that. Wackler's Wizarding Gallery? Absolutely we can. Yes. Write that shit down. You know I'll forget. Write it down. Very good. Special thanks to Judson Hurd, who composed all of our music for this show. He's a wonderful human being and our manager of mischief and sometimes minister of magic and epic quarantine beard and bartender and lovely human being, Josh J. Bay Bailey. And last but not least, check out our Patreon. If you love the show and you want to be a participant in its creation, you can find out more about that at patreon.com slash the fox and the foxhound. Okay, it's time for dad jokes. I am really proud of mine and really scared to tell you mine simultaneously. Okay, go for it. Do you want me to go first? Did you hear about the time that Voldemort accidentally made his Death Eaters dinner instead of torturing them? No. Yeah, he was so rusty that he messed up the incantation and said, Couscousio. (laughs) (laughs) That's rough. I thought mine was back. I'm so pleased with myself. (laughs) Okay, I'm ready for yours. Did you know that Voldemort is actually a pretty helpful chap? I did not know that. I mean, he gave Wormtail a hand. Uh, Okay, I love that, actually. (laughs) I make that noise of exasperation, but that was glorious. (laughs) Oh, my God. Austin Scroggins sent us a terrible dad joke really? this week, by what the way. What is it? It was, I'm paraphrasing, I don't have it in front of me, but it was basically like, yeah, I, I met my girlfriend at a, a Quidditch game. I saw her guarding the hoops and I knew she was a keeper. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my response to him was, <sighs> how dare you? But also like a lot of laughing faces. So it kind of makes sense. Nice job, Austin. Oh, my God. Keep well, those coming. Keep them coming. Yeah, that's another thing. If you have dad jokes, send them to us. We Clearly, we love them. That's it for this week. That was a heavy chapter and a big one. What a dense one chapter episode that Holy was. Holy shit. Yeah, we we move into Priori and Cantatum next, which is a fantastic chapter. I cannot believe that at 41 years old, I just started to read this series last year. Yeah. And how relevant it is to what is going on. And I'm so thankful that this series came into my life right now. Oh, And so I just wanted to tell the listeners and all the Harry Potter fans out there, for everyone fighting the good fight on a million different fronts right now, the Death Eaters are coming. They are here. Yeah. The Death Eaters are here. They've been amongst us the whole time. Yeah. Sometimes we have been the Death Eaters. Yeah. But there's an ancient magic in all of us that will defeat the darkness. Yes. Don't lose hope. Keep fighting the good fight. This is no longer fantasy, guys. This is no longer storybook shit. This is real life. It's our courage and our love and our determination that is going to make this beautiful world that we live in an even better place. Be good to each other. We love you. Hear, hear.